It's a joy and a privilege to be with you again tonight. And before we get into the formal part of our study tonight, let me thank everyone here, especially the elders, and, and for your confidence in Rick and allowing him to, because I know that uh, nobody at this congregation knew me from Adam's house cat. And uh, that uh, his recommendation that permits me to be here tonight and this week has been a blessing to my life. And uh, I want you to know that uh, all of you have blessed me far more, I can assure you, than, than I could have blessed uh, any of you. It's just been an absolute uh, joy uh, and, and encouragement to me to be uh, with this church uh, this week. Uh, to be able to uh, spend time with Rick and his sweet family has just been a, a great privilege and pleasure. And uh, just such sweet girls, even if some of them don't like me. I'm not even going to say which one. I just have to fight it out. Might be both of them. I don't know. See Eric and Sandy and spend some time. Get sp- spend time with them this week and spend time with Eric today. And to see the Nelsons, I just about fell on the floor when I walked in. I didn't even know they had moved to Chattanooga. But they'd only been here since December. So I'm not so far out of the loop. You know, it's not like, well, we've been here five years because I had just been to Jacksonville not too long ago and I, you know, I had seen them there. And uh, Miss Shirley was one of the secretaries, may have been the only secretary when I first started working with House to House back in 2001. And so our relationship goes back 17 17- almost 17 years now, and love and appreciate them. Thank them uh, uh, for, for ditching Ken Willis and coming over here tonight and, and being with us. And Eric and Sandy have been here. Sandy's been with us every night, I know, and, and Eric's been here at least three nights. Just can't, say, just can't say enough about them and how much I love them and love and appreciate all of you. Um, James chapter 1 if you would, you can go ahead and you can take your hand out and just fold it in half. Just fold it in half to where you can see the left-hand side and forget about that right-hand side. We're gonna, we'll get to that eventually. We're going to focus on James chapter 1 beginning in verse number 17. Examining the subject, if any man be a doer of the work. If any man be a doer of the work. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, the Bible says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And of His own will He begat us by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Wherefore, laying aside all filthiness, King James says superfluity of naughtiness, other translations say excess of wickedness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who beholds his natural face in a glass. He beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, there's our key, 
A doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. If any man among you seem to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. But pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. We're going to walk our way through this text, looking at, the, looking at the change or the transition of terms. Note in verse 23, if a man be a hearer of the word and not a doer. And then we find in verse 25 the change from a doer of the word to a doer of the work. And so therefore, if we're going to do the work of God, we have to do it according to the word of God. We're going to walk through this text and look at... Just a few items that if any man, and this is kind of our introductory phrase to each one of our points, if any man be a doer of the work, and then we'll move into each particular point. Number one, if any man be a doer of the work, he must recognize the source of his strength. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning. The source of our strength is God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, Paul told Timothy. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, as as Moses is giving his final discourse to the children of Israel, he is telling them and reminding them about the land that they are about to inherit. He says, you're going to move into a land and you're going to live in houses that you did not build. You're going to drink water out of cisterns that you did not dig. You're going to eat fruit from trees you did not plant. You're going to uh, uh, pick grapes from vines that, that you have never tended. This is truly a land that flows with milk and honey. But then Moses gives this warning in about verse 14. He says, but beware. When you have eaten and are filled, lest you say, I have gotten this land by my might and by my strength. And you forget it was the Lord that gave it to you. We always must remember the source of our strength. In the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a great tree that in essence, filled the whole earth. And, and the animals took shade uh, under its branches and the birds built nests uh, in the tops of it. And, it, and it, in essence, it nourished the whole world. And then something came along and, and cut that tree down and left just a little sprig. And Nebuchadnezzar was concerned about that dream. And Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree and your kingdom is represented by that tree. Your kingdom is the greatest of all the kingdoms, but it's going, you are going to be cut down because of your pride. Your pride is going to be your downfall. And in spite of that express warning, which is not the first incident that Nebuchadnezzar had had with Daniel or those Hebrew boys, in spite of having being forewarned of that very thing, the Bible teaches us that Nebuchadnezzar walked through his palace, and by the way, the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven great wonders of the world. And he walked through that city, and he looked around, and he said these words, Is this not great Babylon that I have built with my hand, by my power, and by my might? And the Bible says, And while the word was still in his mouth, there came the word of God. 
And the prophecy that Daniel gave forth about that tree, about that dream, that interpretation came true. And Nebuchadnezzar was driven from among men until he got enough sense to recognize that God was the source of all the good that he had in his life. In Psalm 46 and verse 1, the Lord is our refuge, our strength, and our helper. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. If any man's going to be a doer of the work, he must, re- he must remember the source of his strength. Number two, if any man is going to be a doer of the work, he's going to have to reflect the image of the Almighty. Of his own will, he begat us by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Therefore, my beloved brother, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man cannot work the righteousness of God. When God begets us, he begets us in his image. From the very time that man was created in Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has before ordained them. Ephesians 2 and verse number 10. You ever, you ever see a young man or an older man and as soon as you see that young man or that older man, you immediately think of his father? That's happened to somebody that's in this audience tonight. I've already heard when Eric, when Eric walked in, when Eric walked in, everybody immediately remembered his father because of the great legacy of faith and, and love and, and faithfulness to the Lord. But also, he looks like him. In other words, if you ever, you know, you see those pictures, you say, you'll never deny that one. Because they look just, you know, they look just like you. They look just like you. All the time, I got so tired of hearing it growing up. I look just like my dad, look just like my dad, look just like my dad. But you know what? Those people weren't lying. I found a picture one time. It was the craziest thing. I found a picture of me about 16 years old sitting on a couch in my grandmother's house at Christmas time. And I had got a hunting vest and some, and some things for Christmas pertaining to hunting, and there was a picture of me sitting on that couch. And lo and behold, if there wasn't a picture of my dad, 20 years earlier, sitting on that same couch at Christmas with a hunting vest and some things that he'd got for Christmas, and it just sent shivers down my spine. They said, them people have been telling me the truth all this time. I, I, I thought it was me. I mean, I looked at the picture and just for a moment I thought it was me and I looked at it closer and it was my dad. You just, there's just, you know, there was never any denying that, that I was the son of Joe Clippert. He begat me. Therefore, it makes sense that I ought to look like him. Well, we've been begotten by God. If we're children of God, we've been begotten by God. Therefore, oughtn't it to make sense? That if we've been begotten by God, that we ought to look like His children? Because we have His Son, Jesus Christ, is the only begotten Son of God. And so if we've been begotten of God, who ought we to look like? We ought to look like Jesus. We ought to look like Jesus. 
And if we look like Jesus, then we'll look like God, because Jesus said, anybody who has seen me has seen the Father. And I don't believe, mean, he, I don't think he meant that. I'm sure he didn't in any kind of a physical way. But he was just talking about his character, his attributes, his, his, his divine essence. And if we're going to be begotten by God, then we're going to look like God's Son. There's, there's no other way. You know, you can't get away from it. Therefore, we ought to be able to live our spiritual lives in such a way that somebody ought to be able to look at God and said, you can't deny that one. Not that he would. But we ought to look. We ought to look like the one who has begotten us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And then in verse 21 it says, Now God made him to be sin for us, him who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's that, that closeness of reflection of that image. Again, Ephesians 2 and verse 10, We're his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. If any man's going to be a doer of the work, he's going to reflect the image of the Almighty, the one who has begotten him. But then number three, if any man's going to be a doer of the work, he's going to have to remove himself from sin. We can't live like the devil and do the Lord's work. Paul said as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16, you can't eat at the devil's table and the Lord's table. In other words, you can't have fellowship. You know, so many people they you know they want to live like the devil on Monday through Saturday, and then pretend like they're living for the Lord on Sunday. That won't work. And the Lord knows better. And by the way, everybody else knows better too. You can't fool anybody. You're not gonna fool anybody living like the devil, and then and then come in and, and pretend to be something that you're really not. But if we're gonna do the the work. Of the of do the, uh, the work of God, we've got to remove ourselves from sin. Think about all think about all the difficulties that have befallen man, especially God's people, because they did not remove themselves from sin. Think about the situation with the little old town of Ai. I mean, right on the heels of a great victory over Jericho. And they go out to, oh, AI's just a little old, that's, there ain't nothing to that. Don't send everybody down there, just send a few. And the children of Israel were turned and 36 men died and, and they turned their backs before their enemies. And Joshua laid on his face and said, Lord, why have you done this to us? And God said, get up. Quit acting like that. The problem is, there's sin in the camp. And Achan had taken of the accursed thing. And Achan had brought sin into the camp. And by the way, if Joshua had just talked to God first before he sent those men to Ai, none of that would have ever happen. Isn't that right? Just like the treaty that he made with the Gibeonites. You know, some of us are just hard learners. We can't learn very well. Don't learn from our mistakes. All Joshua had to do before he made that treaty with the Gibeonites is say, Lord, where are these men really from? And what is their intention? Don't you think the Lord would have answered him? Well, sure he would. And if Joshua had went to the Lord before they went to Ai, God said, don't go to Ai. There's sin in the camp. Take care of your business at home, and then you can go take Ai. See, we've got to remove ourselves from sin. Look what happened to Uzzah because David did not consult God after the proper order. 2 Chronicles 15, verse 13. Cost Uzzah cost us his life because David didn't move the ark the way that God said to move the ark. And all the other times, Asa, a great king, but at the end of his life, he left the Lord and he was diseased 
He was diseased in his feet and he sought everybody but the Lord and it, and it brought, him to, brought him no avail. We've got to get sin out of our lives if we want to do the Lord's work. Remove himself from sin. Even the priests weren't allowed to serve the Lord until they first offered a sacrifice for themselves. And so over and over again we see that God demands a people of, of, of holiness. People who have been sanctified and set apart and fit for service. I can't help but be reminded of the passage in Habakkuk 2 and verse 20. Thou art of pure eyes and to behold sin. So if we're going to do the Lord's work, we've got to remove ourselves from sin. But then, number four, if we're going to do the work of the Lord, we have to receive the instruction of the Word. As I quoted or made mention of earlier this week in Exodus chapter 10 and verse 26, Moses in that discussion with Pharaoh said, No, we're taking everything with us to go serve the Lord, for we do not know what He is going to require of us until we get there. In other words, if we're going to serve the Lord, we're going to have to serve Him according to His Word. And if we're not serving Him according to His Word, we're not serving Him at all. If we don't do what God says, we cannot serve Him. And so we must receive the instruction of the Word. Receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls. Verse number 21. In Mark 4 and verse 20, the good soul hears the Word and receives it. Receives it. The word there for receives is kind of like, like eating food means you take it on the inside and make it a part of who you are. That's what it means to receive the Word of God. Not just to hear it, but to hear it and to understand it. By the way, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but in the three, parable, in the three accounts of the parable of the sower, the good soul is described in three different ways. He hears the Word and understands it. He hears the Word and receives it. And Luke's account says he hears the Word and keeps it. Isn't that interesting? Understand it, then receive it, and then keep it. Three accounts, three different ways that we are to respond to the instruction of the Word of God. But then number five, if a man's going to be a doer of the work, he's going to have to remember what he was. Remember what he was. That'll always, look, that's always a good source or medicine for pride. Remember what you used to be. Now look, Sandy's here and she can tell you what I used to be. I mean, she saw it. She knows. And even after she was gone, she probably still knows some of what I used to be. And it wasn't good. And it wasn't that I didn't know better. And many, many, many are the times that I have thanked the Lord for not letting me die in the sins of my youth. Man, where, I can think about instance after instance after instance where there would have been, in just a blink of an eye, just anything could have happened. I could have been dead as a hammer and I'd have went straight to hell. I went straight to hell. And knowing better than to do what I was doing. Remember what he was. If any man... Be a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man that beholds his face in a mirror. And he beholds himself and he goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. He forgets what he looks like in the mirror of God's word. And by the way, 
I dare say that just about everybody in this audience tonight has looked in a mirror today. I'll guarantee you every woman that is here tonight has looked in a mirror today. Now, I only look in the mirror two times a day. Usually, I only look in the mirror one time a day. That's a shade. But if I'm going to services, I've got to look in the mirror twice a day because I've got to tie my bow tie. You know, look, I don't enjoy looking in the mirror. That's why I keep my hair so short. Because, you know, you just get out of the shower and rub it and go. You know, if I had it long, I'd have to look in the mirror to get it fixed. And I don't want to look in the mirror anymore than I have to. But I promise you, every one of you women's looking in the mirror today. Every one of you. You know why? Because I've been married 30 years. And I know what my wife looks like when she wakes up. And I know that didn't none of y'all wake up looking like you look right now. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. Now, what's the point of that? The point of that is this. We look in the mirror for a purpose. To see what needs to be fixed. Or at least what we think needs to be fixed. Isn't that right? You've got to put your makeup on. You've got to fix your hair. You've got to shave. Your, whatever it is. You, but, but you look in the mirror to find the imperfections. Like I said, not a one of you women got up today, looked in the mirror, said it's all good, and went to Walmart. Not a one of you. Not a one of you. You looked in that mirror to make the changes that you wanted to be because you wanted to be presentable. Right? That's the same reason we look at the Word of God. We look at the Word of God so that we can find where the imperfections are. Not so we can look in the Bible and say it's all good and go our own way without making any changes. That's why we look in the mirror of God's Word to see ourselves as God sees us, not as we perceive ourselves. You know, it's like every time I get my hair cut, I look down in my lap and it's all white. And I'm like, and it's white on the floor. And I'm like, what old man's hair did she cut before I got there? And then I realize that's my white hair. You know that. So, so you know. By the way. In my mind, I'm still about 30, 35. Now, my body tells me differently along the way. You know, you're not 35 anymore. You know, you're not 40 anymore. You know, you, there's, there's things that you need to stop doing at 50 that you used to not think twice about at, at a certain time. The point is, we all have this perception physically about what, what we are, and we have the same perception spiritually about what we are, and the mirror, or God's Word, is a big dose of reality. We've got to remember what we were. Whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, that man will be blessed in his deed. There's point number next, that a man has to respond to what he's heard. If any man's going to be a doer of the work, he's got to respond to what he's heard. He hears the Word, he understands the Word, but he's going to be a doer of the Word. Of course, Matthew 7, 21-27, we examined that text on Sunday. But, you know, the, the wise man and foolish man... By the way, let me tell you this, and I'm, I'm probably going to go over time tonight. It's alright, i got to drive farther home than all y'all probably put together. 
But I've been leading singing in a local vacation Bible school every summer since 1996. And every day, every day, we sing the wise man. Every day we sing that song. And it occurred to me a few years ago that, that I've been singing this song and there's not one of those little kids that even knows what that song is about. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to... When we sing this song, I want the children to understand what song it is. There's not just a fun little song that's based on the Bible and we get to do the hand motions. I want them to understand. And so I taught them, I said, now, when we sing this song, the wise man is the man who hears the Word of God and does it. And we sing about the foolish man. I said, the foolish man, and I don't know why I said it this way, because my wife's an English teacher and she'd kill me if she'd heard me say it. I said, now the foolish man is the man who hears the Word of God and ain't going to do it. I said, y'all understand that? Yeah, yeah, we get it. So the next day I go and get ready to sing that song, and I said, the wise man's the man that hears the Word of God. And I mean, there's like a hundred children, and just with one loud voice, and does it. And I said, and the foolish man is the man who hears the Word of God, and in one voice, ain't going to do it. And every day for the last three or four years, even from one year to the next, I don't have to teach those kids that again. They'll sing that song and they know who the wise man is. And they know who the foolish man is. The wise man is the man who hears the word and responds to what he has heard. John 13 verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's not just enough to know the word of God. One must obey the Word of God. Have to respond to what we have heard. And then lastly, if a man's going to be a doer of the work, he's going to have to reveal his righteousness. Reveal his righteousness. Not in the sense that he's going to parade himself in some way as being righteous, but in the sense that any man who does the Word of God will naturally reveal his righteousness. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 14 beginning. In other words, we can't hide the light of the gospel if we're living it. Think about, think about this. If you could paint all these windows black, every window in this building, paint it black, turn out every light in here to where it's so black it's like being in the bottom of a cave where you literally can't see your hand in front of your face. I could strike a single match and everybody's attention in this room would be drawn to that match. You couldn't help it. If it was that dark, it was that black, and I struck a match, every eye in this building would be looking at that match. Now let me ask you a question. How dark is the world we're living in? How dark is the world we're living in? So then, how does the Christian draw attention to himself? By jumping up and down and waving his arms? Getting a big neon? No. Just do what the Bible says and you'll be different. You'll be different from everybody in the world and even all the religious folks too. If you practice true New Testament Christianity, you'll be vastly unlike and now look, I'm not saying there's not good people in the religious world. And I'm not even saying there's not good people that are atheists. I know some. They're good people. They're good people. But they're not Christians. 
And the life of a Christian is so different than any other life that people are living, religious or otherwise. You cannot help but draw attention to yourself. You don't do it to draw attention to yourself. It's just a natural outgrowth of living the way that God wants you to live. Verse 26 says we have to control our tongue. That alone ought to set us apart from everybody else in the world. The control of our tongue. Providing for relief for those who are in need. To visit the fatherless and the widows. And then to keep himself unspotted from the world. Just to... Finish this right hand or this left hand side. Matthew 25, providing help for those in need is what separates the sheep from the goats. It was just that simple, wasn't it? It wasn't some great magnificent act or or some some great thing that separated the sheep from it. What did it boil down to? Feeding a hungry man. Giving a thirsty man a drink. Clothing somebody that needed, needed some clothes. Visiting somebody when they were sick. And in prison, very simple things. But I'm going to tell you something. It made all the difference in the world, Matthew 25. Made all the difference in the world. Providing relief for those that are in need. Separates the sheep from the goats. And lastly, James chapter 2, it validates my faith. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Obeying the Word of God is a validation of my faith. Now... Let's go to the other side. It's application time. I preached this in a meeting sometime years ago, and sometime after the meeting was over, the lady that was sister that was telling me said, You ought to call that the refrigerator, the refrigerator sermon. All right? And you're going to find out why in just a minute. Now, at the top of your sheet, it says, I blank, right? Blank. Write the word can in that, write the word can in that blank. Now, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to read these one at a time, and I'm not going to dwell on them at all. But, when I read that, whatever it is, number one through number 25, if you can do what, what that number is when I read it, just circle that number, right? If you can do that, I want you to circle that number. So, so just answer for yourself. This is your list. It's not my list. It's not your neighbor's list. I can. All right, so y'all ready? Here we go. I can read my Bible every day. I can pray for the sick each day. I can call to check on someone who is not at services. I can send a card or to a shut-in or someone who needs encouragement. I can visit someone who is shut-in. I can encourage some inactive member with a call or card. I can greet visitors in the foyer. I can pray for our missionaries and their families. I can send a card or letter to encourage one of our missionaries. I can write a note of appreciation to our elders. I can pray for our elders and their families. I can help organize or chaperone an activity for our young people. I can invite someone to attend Bible class and worship. I can invite someone to attend our gospel meetings and special events. I can pray for the preacher and his family. 
I can encourage someone to obey the gospel. I can set up a Bible study between the preacher and a friend or loved one. I can ask someone to enroll in a Bible correspondence course. I can clean house, mow grass, or make minor repairs for someone in need. I can clean or make minor repairs on our buildings and grounds. I can supply transportation for someone in need. I can say a good word on behalf of the church. I can faithfully attend Bible class and worship assemblies. I can worship with enthusiasm. I can be a true example of Christianity. Now everything that you circled on that list is what you said you could do, right? I mean, I didn't answer, Bootsy, I didn't answer any of your questions for you, did I? Not one. I didn't answer it for anybody, did I? You answered for you. Isn't that right? Now, there's a little spot, a blank area, right up there on the upper right-hand corner of that page. I want you to write in that blank. Because I want the church to grow. Right up there in that space. Because I want the church to grow. Because I want the church to grow. Everybody got that? Because I want the church to grow. Now, take your marker or whatever it is you got in your hand, scratch out the word can and write the word will. Scratch out the word can and write the word will. Now let me ask you a very simple question. What would happen to the White Oak Church by April of next year if every member simply did what they admitted to themselves that they can do? What would happen to this church in one year if every member did what they themselves admitted that they can do? Now the real question is, will you do it? Will you do it? The Bible says we'll be judged based on our abilities and not on our inabilities. It talks about giving in that respect in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, that a man's giving is judged based upon what he has and not on what he doesn't have, which is why the widow was so well uh, uh, received by Jesus in the book of Mark, because she gave more than them all. Not not monetarily wise, but she gave more because she gave everything that she had. Will you give everything that you have to help make this church grow? Now see, now you can take that little list and you can put it on your refrigerator. And every day you can be reminded of what you said that you can do for the Lord and for this church. And just imagine what, just imagine, by the way, it doesn't matter if you're the only person in this church that does what's on your list. Right? If everybody else but you throws your, throws their list in the garbage tonight, but you hold on to your list, you're still obligated to keep that list. Isn't that right? 
My Christianity is not based on what everybody in the church, in, in my congregation does. It's based on what I do. Based on my abilities, what I know that I can do, and how faithfully I fulfill the things that I know that I can do. I'm just going to beg you. Put that thing up somewhere where you can see it every day. Every day. And remind yourself to do for the Lord what you have admitted tonight that you can do. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, never have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'll tell you what you can do tonight. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24, and you're willing to repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5, and you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, Romans 10, 9 and 10, I'll tell you what you can do. You can become a child of God tonight by being immersed in water to receive the remission of your sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. Washed from every sinful stain by the blood of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1 and verse 5. And you can leave this assembly tonight justified by the grace of God. Titus 3 and verse 7. As a faithful, saved child of God. If you're here tonight as a Christian, you know you've been lax negligent in your walk with God. And you've said or done things of a public nature that need a public response. I tell you what you can do tonight. You can confess that sin and let us pray with you and for you as Acts 8, 20 and following teaches. As 1 John 1 and verse 9 says, if we'll confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not asking you to do anything you can't do. Do what you can. And do it now as together we stand and sing this song.